What is going on, guys? Welcome into another podcast here, podcast number five with the growth series. Um, we are going to be talking about a bunch of really important concepts today, uh, which will be definitely useful for your trading journey. Uh, we once again have Peter and Ivan in the house today. You guys want to say hi? Buddy. And uh, we are going to be Morning, talking guys. about um, definitely let's do a market wrap of uh, what happened last week and then uh, maybe talking to the uh, main points that we want to get through today just for people who are listening into the second podcast of the series thank you very much for taking your time out and you know giving us a listen we hope that you find some of this useful share it with your friends family or even your pet dog if you want <laughs> and so uh really interesting week this past week uh i think a lot of price action mayhem uh, kind of expected during the OPEX week, we uh, kind of already saw definitely the whipsaw, uh, but never did I imagine that we would rally so hard at the end of the week. Uh, once again, another uh, combination of things leading to, uh, you know, massive short squeeze and some short covering. Um, what do you guys see in terms of the price action this past week? I mean, for me, the standout for last week was volatility, right? Like we had we had a, a significant gap down uh, on monday or sorry gap up on monday another significant gap on tuesday and then we we slid you know wednesday and thursday and then remade all of that ground in the short squeeze on friday so um for me like price action you asked me about price action it's it's all just like super big range super big volatility right now yeah that's been really good for a uh, day trading too right i think if you're a day trader this is a paradise uh yeah I mean, if you've got like I'm sorry. If you've got like well-defined levels and uh, the wherewithal to take your trades when, you know, when they, when they hit, you can make a lot of money. Yeah. What about you, Ivan? Yeah, same. Super volatile week. Um, you know, I'm feeling, you know, MM strapping people, you know, both ways up and down. And definitely what happened Friday, uh, you know, was not expecting it, you know, to be so, such a huge squeeze. Um believe you know friday they took us up to a, a a really key pivot level and so we have to wait until monday and see what happens yeah definitely i think uh this uh, past week all has been uh very choppy but at the same time has given us a really interesting way to look at this bear market uh more importantly i think uh, there are a couple of things to mention here in terms of macro situation i don't think much has changed in fact uh, this cuts out the work uh for the fed now and also on friday um you know the wall street journal posted an article uh hinting towards a possible fed rate hike that gave the market that jitters that it needed uh to scramble for that upside exposure uh mainly i think this is what caused uh some of the squeeze on friday it was uh a lot of market players that were caught with their pens down looking for exposure to the upside, then bulls jumping on saying, hey, wait a minute, there's something here. Uh, the price action just continued upward for the rest of the session with uh, very minimal pullbacks. We had a mini pullback, but it was, uh, you know, faded away very quickly by bulls. Um, and we saw the breadth of the market um, re remain relatively flat, I would say. Uh, even if you look at IWM, uh, it did buy up. But once again, as Ivan said, to a key point, right up to that 172, 173 level. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, we could see a reversal back again. It's just a matter of uh, what the price section is going to do on Monday. Uh, on top of that, uh, we definitely saw interesting moves on the VIX. But once again, the VIX is not really super bullish until we get below 28.50 or so. 
um, and the bond market has been a dumpster fire, right? So the bond market is definitely signaling a bit more pain ahead. Um, and short-term bondholders are definitely commanding that higher yield because of the uncertainty in current times. Um, it's an interesting time to be a trader right now because I think this past week, uh, many people were sitting on their hands and then on Friday, everybody just got fed up and jumped on the bandwagon, right? Um, but uh, also, we had the dollar make a surprising move down, but once again, within the trend, uh, still hasn't broken into a downtrend, still remaining a uptrend yet. Uh, we did make lower highs and get rejected twice uh, at around 113.97 uh, or 113.90 around that level. And uh, we've been seeing since then a lot of pressure to the dollar to the downside. Also, not to mention on Friday, we had a big bank of Japan, a central bank of Japan, BOJ, made a big intervention in terms of Forex policy. So that also caused a lot of people to dump the dollar. But it's honestly, I think, a temporary move because uh, so far, you know, the Japanese yen has been in a lot of trouble this year. Uh, so there's been a lot of pressure factors that, that caused the rally on Friday, but still none of that of those things have been fundamental changes. They've been mainly technical changes, like, you know, mechanical things, um, which have been really interesting. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, I think for me, the biggest, uh, the biggest thing that hit my macro radar was the Wall Street Journal rumor about the Fed. Um, I think right now, like the, the Fed policy is, it's one of the pillars of the bear market right now. And so any, any dovish adjustment to that is going to um, bring the the appetite for risk back, probably uh, disproportionately at first too, because everybody's feeling pretty beaten up at this point. I um, uh, I think um, you know uh, as Peter stated, you know whatever when the Feds come out and just you know mention anything about cutting rates or anything like that, you know everybody's gonna jump on the on the train to you know uh, go bullish. Uh, I think on Friday, besides, I think it was a lot of, you know, short covering, you know, with the, all the options because of OPEX. And that's, you know, the, the, the Fed or the article was just fuel for the, the short covering as well to, you know, go up so high. Yeah, so I think there's an interesting dynamic from the uh, mechanical point here. So first things first, uh, pessimistic sentiment has had peaked. In the past two weeks, uh, we've had the amount of bearish news headlines and the amount of, uh, you know, bearish overall sentiment has been absolutely nerve wracking this past, uh, you know, uh, two weeks or so. And then at the same time, you had uh, the put to call ratios, which I have mentioned, were the highest since COVID, uh, the 2020 uh, COVID crash. Uh, in fact, they are higher than that period. And so uh, it, it did make sense for market makers to skew the price action towards the upside in order to uh, really evaporate a lot of that gamma away. So market dealers have been uh, spending a lot of their time keeping the levels above uh, 3,700 or so. Uh, and they've been, uh, they've been really actively doing that uh, this past week. Uh, so they ended the week uh, higher at 3761, which uh, you know was well above those call strikes that they've been trying to keep above it. Uh, and you know, all in all, I think this next week is going to set the tone for a lot of different things. You have uh, almost 40 or 50 percent more of the S&P 500 reporting earnings this coming week. You have a lot of large mega caps reporting earnings. 
Uh, and this is really going to set the tone for how, uh, you know, performances of the market. Of course, we're not expecting lackluster, like, you know, super blockbuster performance uh, from many of these stocks. But then again, remember, as I mentioned on the previous podcast, um, the same thing happened last quarter. We had a very pessimistic view of the market. Uh, we saw, oh man, like, you know, uh, I think a lot of these stocks are going to underperform for earnings. And then these stocks, they actually surprised uh, to the upside. Uh, and we had a huge bear market rally that lasted for almost a month uh, or less than a month, maybe about three weeks. Um, and that, you know, led to a lot of price action squeezing to the upside as well. So let's talk about that for a second. The elephant in the room, bear market rallies, right? Um, this is really an interesting topic right now because um, in a bear market, we have seen more than once uh, these huge squeezes in the past. And um, just to you know, give you guys a, a little bit of statistics here, uh, and this uh, you know goes some of this credit goes to uh, Michael Burry for for putting out this information. Um, you know, he did mention that uh, 12 of the top 20 NASDAQ one-day rallies happened during a 78% drop from the 2,000 tops. So nine of the top S&P uh, one-day rallies happened from the 86% uh, drop from the 1929 top. So uh, having said that, we've seen bear market rallies of more than 10% um, in the past bear markets, like after 2000, the dot-com crash. Uh, there have been almost 16 bear market rallies of more than 10%. And also, the Dow has seen more than 10 bear market rallies of more than 10% during the same time. Uh, and so I think that theme continues here. <laughs> it's an interesting theme, uh, especially because, uh, you know, in a bear market, it's very difficult for everything to go down constantly, just like how in a bull market, it's very difficult for things to go up consistently. Uh, and so whenever you see that huge impulse wave, downward there's always going to be that pullback and that correction for uh, sentiment to brood and kind of see oh you know are we really walking in the right direction here uh and so these rips are definitely more expected uh and they're going to become more violent with the vix being uh higher so um the question becomes do you buy the dip in this kind of a in, in a rally right because i know the the main thing that people think about in this kind of a situation is how do we play this as a day trader, your answer is pretty simple. You have your pivot points, you're trading between them. But as an investor, this is, becomes a very painful time because you can buy the dip, it rallies a little bit, and then you know you get a terrible entry and it keeps going down again. And then you do the same thing and you know after a certain point, you run out of dry powder and then you're like, oh man, I've just expended all my capital. And now at this point, um, I'm not really sure what to do. So what do you guys think? What, what, do you, what would be your strategy to buy the dip here? How do you treat this as an investor or as a trader? So, you know, the answer that I think I would give to somebody who asked me who maybe wasn't like an active market participant or or didn't necessarily follow markets in a sophisticated fashion. I mean, I think dollar cost averaging is kind of the that's the conservative strategy. That's what conservative money managers do. That's that's how, you know, a conservative portfolio is is dealt with. Right. Because they don't even try to time the bottom. Um you know, but another strategy that I've that I've heard uh, people take with a little more nuance, like for somebody maybe with that's a little more in tune, is they can watch something like a moving average crossover, right? Which is a which is what a lot of uh, you know sort of uh, uh, e advisors, like you know digital advisors, are are based on. They you know they follow moving averages, and so you can wait, for example, like the eight twenty one eight 
eight EMA and 21 EMA, you can wait for a crossover to occur and say, okay, I'm not going to try to time the bottom, but, but there is a signal that the trend may be reversing here. So I'm going to average in at this point. You can use it to define the inflection points for, for dollar cost averaging and maybe, you know, maximize your, uh, your efficiency a little bit with that. Uh, and then, so yeah, I guess that's, that's the strategy I would take. I think I um I have to agree with Pete. Uh, you know, as we know, there is no way for anybody to time the, where the you know the, where the bottom is going to be. So probably using the uh, moving average is the the best um, option to add to you know long term term port, uh, portfolio. Um, the, you know, as of you know, the way it's been happening for the last two weeks, the bouncing of the two hundred SMA on the weekly chart, that would be a good, you know, that was a good uh, add-on point for the long-term portfolios. We could go down more, but that was a good point to to add. Yeah, that's that. these are really good points. Obviously, I, I do think that that's uh, honestly the right way to do things. You get in, in tranches at very specific points. You say, okay, this is where I'm going to add one tranche. This is where I'm going to add the next tranche. You use the moving averages as a good guide. Uh, however, you have to always remember moving averages are lagging indicators. And so they, they're not a reflection of future price action. Uh, and so uh, it's a good way to see, okay, where has price action been in the past? So that is a, definitely a, a good strategy. You can use, you know, the 200 uh, uh, moving average or, you know, a longer term moving average on a much uh, bigger time frame like um, the weekly or even the daily. Uh, and, you know, you can keep adding uh, whenever you break through uh, specific key levels. Uh, and, Dollar cost averaging is definitely going to be the answer here because you don't want to time the market. You just want to make a timed investment at the same time every month or, you know, whichever frequency you choose. It could be a month. It could be two months. It could be three months, whatever you want, uh, and keep buying at that same time. It doesn't matter where the price is because at the end of the day, you will get an average price over a long period of time. And uh, that's just going to be good for your retirement portfolio. So I think uh, for long-term investors, you know, this market doesn't really change your method. It's only for active traders that where, you know, you really feel the pain of this market. And uh, especially if you're an options trader, you can't get the timing right. That's when your theta is going to evaporate all those contracts and gamma is going to really squeeze them. Um, but, you know, also the psychology uh, or the psychological torture of this market has been very relentless in uh, this bear market squeezes. And that's one of the things too, uh, or one of the topics that we want to really talk about today. It's the psychology of trading. Um, and um, I think it's really interesting because in a time like this, you can see uh, a lot of whipsawing of sentiment. One day people could be bullish and next day people are bearish. The market whipsaws back and forth between fear and greed in a very orderly fashion at the moment. Uh, and also uh, another thing, uh, you know, which really adds fuel to the fire is, you know, the overconfidence bias where, uh, you know, there's a tendency to hold uh, pretty much a false or misleading assessment of your, uh, you know, position. And one of the things that kills uh, traders in this market is uh, their ego. Right. Uh, and like, oh, you know, I, this is my view. My view is the best view. It's the right view. Uh, you know, they, they feel so overconfident about it that it becomes their bias. And this can be really, really dangerous during this time of the market, because uh, with volatility so high, uh, there is nothing to be confident about because uh, you could easily play both sides of uh, the situation, uh, even if you are still bearish, which to make it very clear, I am still 
uh, a bear in a bear market until proven otherwise, right? I've always said that uh, when even in the previous podcast I mentioned, uh, you remain a bear in a bear market until the market proves and by sending you price action higher and higher. Uh, and then you can, you know, say, okay, I'm done. Uh, and you can switch your sentiment around. So there's no point to uh, be overconfident though, because uh, even when you get a huge short squeeze like we did on Friday, you have to remain objective uh, the following week. Uh, and you know, it's just one of those things where you have uh, a time when the psychological part of the market is really taxing because uh, this is the time where uh, traders are more likely to cut their profits early and then let their their lose, like losers bleed even longer. You know, and uh, as I mentioned before, this is that loss aversion theory uh, or, you know, the utility of money, which really, really screws you. Um, and uh, for those of you that don't know and listening to podcasts, uh, loss aversion or uh, the utility of money is a very interesting concept because uh, think about it this way. Let's say I gave you uh, $50 uh, and it was gifted to you. Uh, would you really find much utility for that versus let's say you were walking down the street and you lost $50 from your pocket? You would be really angry because you lost that $50. But the fact that you were given $50, you'd probably be more like, oh, okay, it's $50. I'll just use it towards something. So the utility of money uh, when you receive it is always lower than when you lose it. That that utility loses uh, very very quickly. It's uh, one of the uh, very researched phenomenons um, in uh, you know behavioral finance, which is a topic obviously that I'm very interested in. And uh, it's also boils down to how uh, people react in markets. So I find this these two things really really uh, important right now in the current situation because it's going to keep traders in in this constant loop. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, um, bias. <laughs> bias. I, I mean, it's easy to talk about. It's harder to manage, right? Especially in the moment. The, you know, the psychological torture of a bear market is that is that if you if you have long term investments, they're drawn down. And so, even if you're rational about, I mean, if you're an active trader, you can be rational about the trend. You can be rational about what the market's doing. You can be rational about identifying when the market is irrational. You still have your nest egg drawn down, and that's going to place a burden on your mind. Even if you're trading successfully, you've got that that weight of of drawdown present. And so you're losing on that half of, of your portfolio. And then when you get on the wrong side of a short squeeze or a bear market rally that you weren't prepared for, the sense of loss is compounded. And then it aggravates the instinct for loss aversion. And, and it just, you can get so messed up, you know, by, by the emotional attachment to your money that's being pulled in two different directions, neither of which is the way you want it to go, um, that, that you just start making really bad trading decisions. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's very dangerous, you know, and, and like you were saying, kind of the, the inverse of all of that is, is, you know, you think you have a great read, you think you've overcome your bias, and the minute you think you've overcome your bias, right, like, you, you're in the, you know, you're neck deep in an overconfidence bias, and, uh, and you decide, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a lot of conviction on this trade, because, you know, this thing's going down, like, look at the last however many weeks, like, we're in a deep sell off, like, this next leg's gonna be X number of points, you decide you're gonna load heavy on it, and then, and then you get something like uh, Friday squeeze and all of a sudden you're 80 or hundred points on the wrong side of a trade that, that you loaded too big because 
you know, your ego blinded you to uh, the possibility of being wrong. And when you were wrong, you didn't, you didn't have the, the, uh, the good sense to get out of the way. You couldn't admit you were wrong. You, you wanted to hold on. You couldn't, you know, your ego didn't, your ego doesn't want to admit that, that you made a mistake or that you were wrong. And so all of a sudden, you know, you, you take a big loss and it evaporates psychological capital. And, you know, I mean, you lose your, you can lose financial capital and, and retrade it. You can't retrade your psychological capital in the same way. Like if you get rocked in your head and it messes you up, the only cure is time. And depending on the experience you've had, there are some people who suffer catastrophic losses that they never come back from because it just destroys their ability to trade and it destroys their ability to engage with the market. You know, I was listening to a, a podcast once uh, with some high level institutional traders, like professional traders, guys that, that traded millions and millions and millions of, of dollars. And, and this guy, he was talking about, I think it was the 08, uh, the 08 crash. He was saying there are guys who during 08 sustained such shock to their, to their nervous system, their neurological system that, that they had to get different careers. They could not come back to trading. And, you know, he he said part of that was like a lot, you know, there were some of these guys, they, they wanted to put on hero trades uh, to save the book because, you know, they, they realized, Oh, Oh crap. Like this is bad. And I'm, I'm going to be the guy that saves it. I mean, so, so there's your overconfidence bias. They, they put on these massive trades and then they, and then they, these trades went against them. The market moved against their trades and, and these people, I mean, it's not just that they lost big, it's that they hurt themselves physically. They hurt themselves physically and psychologically to the point where they had to get different careers because they could no longer touch volatility because it hurt them too bad. They, they, it's like PTSD. Anyway, that's I um you know I I agree you know the the you know the, the toughest as we know the toughest part of this game is the, the the mental um capacity that you put into it uh some days yeah you know your bias takes a whole of you and and even so you know the this the 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 play can go your way but it can change in two minutes and your whole bias and your, uh, you know, yeah, I had the perfect strategy. Yeah, I had the perfect, you know, I called the play the one that wanted to play, but, you know, I hold it for 15 extra minutes or half an hour or whatever. And, and there you go, you, you're toasted, you're done. So you could, you know, you know, stay in a play and play it perfectly for two, three weeks and your bias could be right, you know, uh, but it could change real quick. And, uh, you know, for people like me, and, and I know there's plenty other uh, new uh, day traders out there that daily changing from one side to the other, it, it really affects you mentally um, to try to stay focused. You know, where do you need to be? And, you know, the, I know it's easier to say than, you know, than, than, than do it, but, you know, to wake up thinking on, well, you know, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have any bias today. And, you know, let's see where the market is going to go. The still in the back of your mind is that, that, you know, my, like personally me, I'm, I'm short term, you know, and long term and, you know, bearish. So it stays in the back of your mind that, you know, you, you think that the market is going to continue going down 
And here we go. The Friday comes, and in 15, 20 minutes, it just completely flip on you, and that's it. You, you, you could be toasted. Like personally, like me on Friday, I decided to stay out. I, I didn't do anything until towards the end of the day um, because of my, you know, my my short I mean, and long term is, you know, I'm still bearish. So I waited towards the end of the day and, you know, I played, you know, what I think is where we're going to head, you know, so. Um, yeah, that's that's definitely true. You guys brought up some really great points. I, I love, I love, I love hearing all of it. Um, and you know, just for for our for our listeners, um, you know, I want to also put in some really interesting feelers here. Uh, here are some ways to know if you suffer from loss aversion. Okay, and uh, if this sounds like you, I'm also going to tell you how you avoid these uh, things because uh, I think you know there should be some benefit. And uh, for listening to this podcast. So let me let me give you guys the lowdown, right? Here's two ways that you know that you're suffering from loss aversion. Well, the first way is if you um, see a stock that's running up and uh, you take your profits very early um, and you realize, uh, you tell yourself, I would rather realize a small gain uh, than to have, you know, uh, a big loss. You constantly tell yourself that then you suffer from loss aversion, right? If your analysis indicates that the stock should be held for a longer period of time for a larger profit, but then you saw the green at like 10% or uh, 5% and you're like, okay, I'm going to take it here. But you know that the trend is still intact. You're still moving in the uptrend. Uh, You suffer from loss aversion, all right? Another one is uh, the flip side, which is you tell yourself that uh, a loss is not a loss until you take it. That's another indication that you suffer from loss uh, aversion. Because both of these things, they work hand in hand. Um, And obviously, if you uh, have this problem, the best way to avoid it is to be consciously aware, first of all, that you suffer from this problem. Okay, so when you're taking a trade, remember that you have to tell yourself that, hey, I am prone to making this mistake. Keep it at the back of your head. Uh, Let's say you're in a bullish, bullish position and, uh, you know, you uh, you feel like, okay, we're going to keep going higher. You can always opt to take a uh, opposite trade. So you can take a hedge to your existing bullish position where your net net is still going to be a gain, uh, whichever way the market moves. And in this market, it's very possible to do this since volatility is so high. So maybe you're taking a bullish position right at a key pivot uh, and you decide, okay, I'm going to take both a call and a put. Uh, you, at the pivot, whichever one breaks, you hold on to that position longer, right? That's one of the uh, ways that you can solve this problem. Another way is if you're an investor, obviously, uh, and you're not trading options or you're not a day trader, and you're just a, a regular old investor, choose companies that have really, really strong fundamentals, right? Uh, and this will give you the conviction because remember, as uh, Graham says, or Benjamin Graham, you're one of the most, um, you know, the, pretty much Buffett's guru, right? Um in the short term, the market's going to be a voting machine. In the long term, the market's a weighing machine. And so you have to realize what companies are really, really good in terms of performance and what are trash. Uh, you know, having said that, uh, you know, some fun facts or some key things, uh, like, for example, uh, what, just one year ago or during the 2021 uh, rally in the markets, we had stocks like Square, Snow, Uber, Shopify trading at really, really high forward multiples. Uh, fast forward exactly one and a half years, and these stocks are down close to 50 to 60% year to date. Their market caps have evaporated by almost three quarters. And their EBITDA 
are almost down triple digits in terms of millions, in millions, uh, which is really, really huge, right? You would think, oh man, these companies were purported to do so well. Um, in fact, out of the bunch, Uber was one of the more better performing stocks because they managed to pivot their business model a little bit. Um, and uh, you still have uh, stocks like um, Rivian or Lucid uh, that are also not doing as bad comparably, but still pretty bad in terms of uh, performance. So uh, that's definitely some things that uh, you know you have to keep in your mind when you're trading. Keep that overconfidence bias, that loss aversion in check. Uh, and then the last one is uh, your confirmation bias. And uh, confirmation bias is an interesting one because um, there are a few things that I actually wanted to bring uh, to this podcast today for you guys to listen in with. It's, uh, uh, you know, first thing would be the fact that uh, you are very, very likely to overrank something in your um, in your line of trading. Like whenever you're trading, you're likely to say, you know what, I think my performance is better than most other people and therefore I'm going to succeed. This ego really drives you to your, your demise. Like it, it, having think, uh, like to think that way, uh, it's not, obviously we're not saying you got to think your, of yourself like a person who, who's not good, but remember that you have to remain humble in a market like this. It's a very difficult market to trade in. Uh, you have to always be willing to learn. And the reality is that most people think of themselves as better than the average person in trading. Um, and this can cause really um, big problems because it, it makes you take on a lot more risk than you should. Uh, majority of the time, people get thrown out of trades or stopped out unnecessarily because of the risk that they take on. And it's an anchored problem from overranking their own um, you know, system. Uh, the second one is uh, the illusion of control, which is uh, pretty much they feel like they have control over a situation when they don't, uh, or they feel like institutions have uh, control over a situation when institutions don't. This is one of perhaps the biggest problems in day traders in the current market. They feel like MMs are against them. They really, really feel victimized. I think if anything, you would have seen this more prevalent during the, the GameStop saga. GameStop, AMC, remember the meme stock era? There was a huge problem with this. People were really feeling victimized by market makers or hedge funds. And uh, they started to rally against them. Like, oh man, you know, it's them. It's Wall Street versus us. Dude, Wall Street doesn't know who you are. Trading is a completely anonymous profession. You remain anonymous. You're, you, nobody knows who, you know, you are. Not only that, if you think that the real person that the MMs are against, it's you, you're seriously very misguided because the problem with big players is they're not afraid of retail traders. They make up such a small percentage of your market. Big players are afraid of whales, people like bigger banks, investment banks that can really move wholesale capital. That's what they're really afraid of. It's how am I going to get sniped by you know, a bigger player out there. And retail traders, they're kind of just floating on the underbelly of this, like uh, like maybe like a, a, a smaller fish and a whale comes around and swipes up that smaller fish. But you being the retail trader, that's a small little anchovy right below that smaller fish, you get become the collateral damage between these two parties. That's what usually is the situation. But retail traders always overemphasize the fact that it's them versus the market maker when actually that's not the case. And so that illusion of control really demolishes you sometimes. You make it feel like every single move is victimized. Like, oh man, I'm a victim. Yeah, go ahead. There was were, there were something that I wanted to add to the to uh, what I was saying before is, you know, for, for new traders is trying to keep the noise, you know, away from you. Um, 
you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm saying it because it, it has happened to me in the past two or three weeks. You know, all the the Twitter and the the all the you know, um, how do you call them? The gurus in Twitter and the alien waves and this and that and you know, I could stay away from that because that could you know that could can hurt you really bad. You know. That's that's what I wanted to say. Yeah, definitely, I, I agree. Uh, you know, having then you have that. Uh, what's that problem? Uh, pretty much decision paralysis. That's the, the other thing, right? Too much overstimulation of information, and then not being able to decide. So uh, you pretty much come to a state where you have just too much of of stuff going on, and then you're like, okay, now I don't even know where the market's going to be. This causes two things. One, you don't make the move that you intended to. You leave money on the table. Number two, you're so scared that you take the opposing trade and then that goes bad. So it sends you in both directions. It's really, really not, uh, you know, uh, a good thing. And then uh, another aspect of uh, behavioral finance that people suffer from sometimes is the timing optimism. This is another interesting one. It's, it also boils into overconfidence a little bit, right? It's where people pretty much overestimate how quickly they can do work and they underestimate how long it takes for that specific job to get done, especially for a complicated task like trading, Right. Um, and pretty much it takes investors a very long time for investments to pay off. And they always say, oh, man, you know, OK, I'm, I want this trade to go my way within the next one week. And so they overestimate the time that's needed. And then sometimes they underestimate that same time and they take on too much time and then they you know, face that brunt as well. So timing optimism is probably another big, big um, uh, cause of why people fail so much. Uh, it's trying to time the market uh, to the perfect T. Everybody wants to catch the entire fish from tail to head without realizing that sometimes the most tasty, juicy part is the meat right in the middle. You don't really need to catch the bottom or the top. You just want a small move, especially as a day trader, of the most tastiest part, especially if you're looking for that maximum gain on options contracts. That's when the peak gamma acceleration is anyway. Um, and so, you know, that timing is, is really, really important sometimes. And you have to get it right uh, over many, many years of uh, training. Uh, and yeah, so these are really um, important things. Uh, another one from uh, the overconfidence bias is uh, the desirability effect, where uh, people really become, um, you know, desirable of their outcome. It's kind of like visual thinking, where if you see bunny ears, uh, you know, you try to aim where the bunny ears are and you think there's a rabbit there when actually uh, there is no bunny ears. Um, this is an interesting one because I, I believe we've spoken about this like many, many months ago, Peter, uh, where, you know, we were talking about this uh, YouTube uh, video of a a guy who was wanting to remain anonymous and trading the markets. And his job was to paint candlesticks. This is a really interesting uh, one we spoke about, I think, many, many months ago. And uh, the... Uh, the wishful thinking or the overconfidence bias plays right into this one. It's um, people see a head and shoulders, so they want the market to drop. People see an inverse head and shoulders, they want the market to rally. People see uh, Mickey Mouse formation. Obviously, I'm kidding. There's no Mickey Mouse formation, but they see a formation that they think is going to happen. They get ahead of it, thinking that it's going to go and play out the way that they want to. 
and then wham, the market makes a completely counterintuitive move, taking out every single, uh, you know, respective uh, position that was in its week. And this week we saw some of that too, you know, uh, the Monday gap down and then a huge buy up and then the continued rally into the end of the week. Um, that was a very, very good example of how the wishful thinking really got uh, over analyzed this past week. And now, right when everything is about to flip the other way, and people are about to be greedy and take the upside positions, there is also another risk here that we slam the other way. So it's truly one of the most uh, you know difficult times to be trading in because there is no directional play here. Everything's moving sideways. And uh, if you try to get overly exuberant, you're going to be punished. But what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. The it, We're moving sideways, but we're moving sideways with such volatility that you really can't take anything for granted. Like if you trade in anticipation of the next move rather than trade on confirmation of the current move, you might get hurt really badly. Um, you know, what this has taught me is like, it's maybe this is a little bit of loss aversion on my part, but it's better to miss an opportunity um, waiting for confirmation than it is to capitalize an opportunity with no confirmation and get hit hard. Um you know, I mean, I'm looking at the chart for the S&P right now. And, you know, my analysis from today, I was looking at everything. I, I've got a short-term bullish bias, kind of like I, I'm seeing a probability for a rally. Um, I've got levels where I think that rally will inflect. Either it'll it'll reach it and surpass it or it'll reach it and reject it. But my bias is up. But I'm also like, if if I'm seeing that, then maybe a lot of other people are seeing that. And it could very well like be too good to be true right it's like oh i see an i see an inverse head and shoulders uh on on the four hour and blah 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 but anyway uh you so know you, so you see that everybody's seen that but then what if the real pain trade is the opposing of seeing that you know what i mean it's difficult sometimes <laughs> like the the um the friend of my enemy is is what's that saying the enemy the enemy of my friend is my enemy or the enemy of my friend is my friend you know what I mean? There's that, always that double whammy. It's like, okay, since everybody's seeing the same trade, is there a possibility that this goes the opposite direction? But then wait a minute, it could go that direction because everybody's seeing that direction. You know what I mean? It's, it's difficult. I, for me, I like to use uh, the price action as the uh, most apparent indicator because price action builds into a, a lot of the current, um, you know, news and uh, information that we're being presented. Uh, but yes, I do agree that in the short term, there may be a bias run. Uh, for the upside. Uh, but once again, well, as you said, if that rally does go underway, then there could be a pain trade there too. Yeah. Um, I mean, sort of what I've distilled, the whole point of analysis, maybe this sounds obvious, but but like you you get it in layers and your, your, your appreciation for these facts becomes deeper over time, the more time you spend like doing it and and. and, and and making it a making a skill out of it is that all of this analysis that you do, I mean, you can set levels, you can set indicators, you can do whatever your process is. All of it comes down to to formulating an intelligent bias, right? The, the market's binary. It goes up or it goes down, right? Like even when it's going sideways, it moves up and it moves down. Price doesn't do anything else. It increases and it decreases, right? So you want to formulate as uh, a bias that is substantiated, right? And then you want to set parameters around that bias where you control risk, right? Like your, your only task is to formulate an intelligent bias and then set key levels where you manage risk if you are wrong, 
right? So come to an idea of what happens if you're right and come to boundaries for what happens when you're wrong. And when those boundaries are crossed, like be ruthless in respecting them. Just like, no, I was wrong. It, it means nothing to be wrong. Your ego, if your ego requires to be right, maybe trading's a bad pursuit for you because even the best are wrong a lot, right? It's just, it's just when you're wrong, only lose a little bit. Only lose a little bit when you're wrong. And so, uh, yeah, the, the pain trade, you know, I guess the, the point of that is be prepared to flip your bias and take the other trade. Like, it's not just, I mean, maybe that's where the real mastery comes in is, is like, okay, you realize you're wrong, but you're in such control of your own ego and, and, and your own discipline that when you are wrong, you can, without hesitation, flip your trade and take the trade that you didn't think was, was going to be the way to go and then go with it and make money. And, um, so that's, uh, yeah. I agree. I agree. I think that's a good way to look at it. And I, that's one of the frameworks for what I operate on as well. It's uh, let's say, for example, at the end of the week. So just to give you guys some information, obviously, um, I took shorts right at the top right there. Right. Right. Pretty much before we closed. Uh, and for me, that's a key level for me to take shorts at, because uh, even if we get higher from there, I can easily get out of my bias. Let's say I think, OK, next on Monday or Tuesday, the market rips higher. I'm going to see exactly how far above this trade that I take, let's say we get above 3810. Uh, and remember, there's always going to be some spillover, right? Exuberance always pushes the market into one direction. And we're likely to see those levels broken. But how we close above those levels will give us the important information that we seek. Um, and so for me, the main thing that I'll be watching for this week is, do we close and hold above 3,800? How often can we do that? Um, and how often are we going to stay above 37-ish where that levels are really holding? Are we going to hold above those levels, et cetera, et cetera? And that's going to be the main thing for me. If we do hold above those levels, I simply switch my bias and I go bullish. Um, but if we start to reject the upper levels and we see a huge rejection, then that just gives me that, you know, confidence to add to my short position. Uh, in the meantime, I've not over allocated my risk. So I'm able to keep myself nimble out of those positions. Uh, and remember that always uh, the market's never going to breathe out in one direction indefinitely. Yes, the market can get very bullish uh, on a sentiment change or if the Fed announces something. But in a normal market where, you know, there is no news or, you know, there is a very um, uh, defined outcome in terms of uh, range, then you can easily manage that risk at a key pivot point, which is where we are right now. So I like to take that framework, and I do agree with you on that. Um, uh, what do you think, uh, uh, Ivan? Uh, what is your plan for this coming week? What are you going to be looking at? Do you want to give our uh, listeners some key levels, um, or what is your you know short-term bias? Um, you know, basically the whole week, uh, SPX 500 was in a bull flag. And uh, even so, we broke the bull flag on Friday, you know, we had really good volume in the morning, but when it was time to break the bull flag, I feel like the volume wasn't there. It was almost dying. So it wasn't a breakout, you know, with power, you know, volume, power, you know, strong power and, and volume. So I'm still, you know, in the same bias as you. Uh, I'm still in the, you know, uh, you know, uh, bearish uh, side. I think uh, 3810 is a uh, key level. Um, I, I did the same as you did. I took the puts uh, towards the end of the day. And if, if we get about 3810, you know, 
38, I don't know, 40, 38, 50, then, you know, you you have a better risk and reward and then you can cut the the the, the trade and, and, you know, be done with it. Um, 38, 10 on my chart was, uh, you, you know, when we bounced the hard bounce that we had uh, last week, that was the 50%. 38.10 actually is about the 38.2 FIP, um, the retrace from uh, the low of COVID. So to me, that's a good level. You know, if we go above, you know, let it go up, let it come back, let it retest it, and then I'll switch my bias and I'll go bullish. Um, but that, that's the plan for Monday. See what happens. If we break and we break, you know, 38.10 with good volume and we retest it and they give us the confirmation, then I cut my, my puts and then, you know, switching go with calls because I think that if we can break the 3810, I, I, we can easily get to 3900. I agree. I agree. I think that's a, a good uh, way to look at it. Um, and I want to give myself obviously some uh, room above 3810 because around 3820, you have that little uh, peak up into uh, September 22. Uh, there was a little peak over there. So uh, there is a dual zone that will be approaching around uh, 3835, 3837. Uh, and so that region is really going to be the test uh, level for this week uh, for uh, re-entering bearish shorts if, if you know, we get that exuberance. Uh, right now, it seems like, uh, you know, because pessimism is at all-time peak, it takes very little for this market to find uh, a reason to go b- bullish. And uh, I think that's going to be the, the way that I'll be looking at it uh, heading into this week and uh, be taking opportunities as, uh, you know, we go along. But uh, I think uh, that... Uh, kind of uh, wraps up uh, what we have for this podcast this week and uh, we'll be back with another one next week Uh, you know if you enjoy listening to podcasts and uh, you know we're going to upload this uh, now we are on Spotify and uh, YouTube I'll be adding more platforms in the days to come Uh, hopefully we're trying to also get on Apple uh, and um, when we do do that uh, we'll definitely be updating you guys but drop a comment below on what you know you want us uh, to possibly talk about if you have uh, anything that you want us to analyze or simply a topic that you think is interesting that you want us to talk about we love hearing your feedback we want to Uh, definitely engage with uh, all of our listeners and uh, yeah we truly appreciate you guys uh, taking our time out to uh, be here uh, listen to us and uh, keep yourselves um, you know nimble in this market and uh, we'll see you on the next one so um, take care and peace out bye-bye